today on Ag News Daily. And what we do across, you know, row crops and because there's a lot of other kinds of crops on people's farms, we allow them to bring their trees and their produce and their row crops into one single environment. So to have a better insight of what's going on on the farm. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Agnews Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Delaney Howell joined in person by Tanner Winterhoff today. Tanner, we just went to an ag, I don't even know what you'd call it, an ag executive breakfast? Yeah, it was sponsored uh, by a lot of Ames area corporations and organized by the Ames Chamber. So it's fun to see a metropolitan organization partnering with agriculture but yes in your mobile office today and it's not raining like the last time i recorded Mm -hmm. in my mobile office aka my truck Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) for those of you that were wondering yes we're recording in our mobile office today so we've been up bright and early i got up at about 5 30 this morning tanner wow that's normal for a regular person (laughs) well it depends it depends i would say that's usually early, a little earlier than I get up, but it's good. We got a lot of good conversations and today heard a lot about the Iowa ethanol CO2 pipeline that the Rastutter, Bruce Rastutter group has been putting together. So we learned a lot of interesting information. Yeah, we did. And, you know, that kind of ties right into the whole green initiative that Congress continues to work on. So uh, yesterday actually came out in the news that Vilsack plans to take the next steps on climate change, but Congress is saying that that is premature to start talking about it. Uh, So there are some discrepancies right now between what Congress believes the USDA has authority to do when talking about climate changing programs and initiatives without the funding being approved yet by Congress. So uh, the USDA will seek maximum impact from the first $1 billion that's been granted But as we know, there's $33 billion that has been requested that is currently being considered. And uh, he's basically been given a warning, you know, a slap on the hand saying, Vilsack, you need to slow down. We haven't approved this for you yet. I'm glad that you're excited about establishing new initiatives, which some were talked about today uh, with this harvesting, sequestering CO2 from ethanol plants and putting it into a pipeline that allows it to be stored in North Dakota. Uh, properly, so it's not put into the atmosphere. Uh, but this is kind of Vilsack getting a uh, the reins pulled back, if you'd like to say. And I never thought I would hear those or read those words around Vilsack. Not usually an aggressor. Mm-hmm. That's true. In the term of his right. his political personality. I think going along those same lines, the big takeaway that I got from this morning's breakfast is just the idea that I think they were called a CI score, your carbon Carbon index. index, Thank you. I was going to say impact score, but essentially Bruce is positioning that in the very near future, all businesses, all things that have to do with any sort of environmental impact will have a CI score. So hog farmers, corn farmers, soybean farmers, you know, manufacturing, etc. All of these people will have a CI score, which to some extent I'm sure will have some sort of economical value And I think that's going to be an interesting one to see how agriculture adopts and reacts to those types of things. So my two cents to go on record is it's going to create another national divide. Mm -hmm. It's going to be just like Democrats and Republicans. It's going to come down to who 
like Bruce said today, goes grocery shopping and pays attention to the calories on the label or the ingredients on the label, who now is going to look to purchase goods with the lowest CI score, which would be the lowest impact versus those who just go about living life. So unfortunately, it's going to give us another thing, Delaney, to potentially have a national divide over. Yes, unfortunately, that is the case. But Tanner, one thing we're not divided on is where we're at for planting progress as of Sunday, the report pegged corn planting at 7% compared to 15% for the previous five-year average, and soybeans have officially started their planting season, kicking off at just 3% planted compared to 5% for the five-year average. Spring wheat was also reported at 13%, so they're actually planting pretty consecutively here, just a little bit lower than the five-year average, which is typically at 15% for this time of year. And as you look at winter wheat conditions, they came in at 11% versus the 19% five-year average in winter wheat conditions, 27% good to excellent, 39% poor to very poor, which compares to the previous year average of 49% good to excellent and 19% poor to very poor in this time of year. So no surprise, but planters have not been rolling. Well, on the other side of that is uh, all of the emergence reporting is also behind schedule. So what well, would make sense? Mm-hmm. Clearly, if a planted acre is not planted, it can't emerge. But even those acres that are in the ground are behind schedule. Looks like, according to the entire report, Delaney, cotton was the only thing that was ahead of schedule. Okay. Well, Tanner, before you get to your next piece of news here, I wanted to remind folks that we are sponsored today by Douglas Plant Health. For many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted SB1 as an integral part of their crop's fertility program. Today, as fertilizer prices soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability. With Teratrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Just head to dphbio.com. Thanks for sharing that, Delaney. Back in the news, RCAF is asking the FTC and the Department of Justice to investigate the vertical integrations in feedlots. So we know that there's been a panel put together of farmers. There's been a panel put together of packing plant executives to go before a Congress subcommittee um, to have conversations about what their observations are. But in a statement issued on Monday, RCAF USA said that it has submitted again formal comments to the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice regarding the concentration and integration of cattle feedlots in the U.S., specifically the structure of the beef packing industry that is now being pushed upstream into the live cattle chain. So uh, they cite here in this article the continued loss of feedlots and farmer feeders on a yearly basis and they really are pushing to take a look closer at the largest 77 feedlots in the nation so again kind of taking the hog avenue as to what type of integrations involved and packers avoiding the packer owned feed yards to you know manipulate potentially the supply demand and market price of the beef industry. So another another call out. We already had some committees formed, uh, but definitely, definitely drawn more attention to this topic again. I mean, RCAF has been very vocal about this from for 
many years now, you know, with the uh, fair cattle movement, fair cattle trade movement. They've had multiple rallies. So this does not surprise me by any means that they're uh, forming some official groups to look into this. Yeah, it it makes sense. I don't disagree with it. I'm glad that it continues to resurface. But it'll be interesting, Delaney, to see when Congress, or in this case, the Department of Justice, actually takes a step forward in making something happen or making a ruling that we can then base off of and move forward. Well, we have seen a ruling move forward for African swine fever vaccinations. The Agriculture Research Service announced that one of its vaccine candidates for ASF has hit a significant milestone on the path to commercial approval. The vaccine has passed federal safety inspection, which is an important step in a variety of safety tests and multiple rounds of uh, revisions and things to go through here, lots of hoops to jump through. But the results revealed that the candidate does not revert to its normal virulence after being injected into swine. And this is a required test to demonstrate that the weakened form of the ASF virus does not return to its original state. That's a little bit of science over my head, but I think essentially what it is alluding to there, Tanner, is that this vaccination is working and does not push swine that are injected with it um, into a weakened state. I think it's essentially saying it's, at least this is how I'm understanding it, it's not injecting a live virus into the animal. Right, not a compensation, correct. Well, that's good news, and I, I can't find the article as we sit here and speak, but we are recording just south of Jack Trice Stadium, which is, of course, on the Iowa State University campus, and just north of the Iowa State University Research Park, which a company in that research park was just awarded a rather large grant for the advancement of their African swine fever uh, process and research that they are doing. So it's good to see that we're getting approval and we might get some solutions back through this. But the last article I have for us today is just from Successful Farming stating that on Monday, we released the highest grocery price rise since 2008. So the forecast was an abrupt 2% change from last month, uh, according to the USDA, said the warfare in Ukraine and higher interest rates are going to continue to affect food prices. Prices for meat was the biggest item on the grocery list, forecast to rise another 6% this year. The double That is double the usual increase of 2.9. Otherwise, dairy products, fresh produce, fats, oils, and eggs are still running above their long-term average. But wanted to remind listeners that today... Our episode is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. For many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted their SP1 as an, an integral part of the crops fertility program. Today, as fertilizer prices soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologics is expanding access to the trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com. Tanner, I have one piece of news. We're going to say it's news with air quotes around it because this has not been confirmed, but according to people familiar with the matter, Farmers Business Network is allegedly preparing to register confidentially for a IPO, a public offering, in the coming weeks. This California-based startup was valued at about $4 billion, with a B, dollars in private financing last year in some funding rounds and is also close to hiring IPO underwriters, the sources said. So the company is aiming to double its valuation to about $8 billion with the IPO offering. 
So we'll see if that does come to fruition. That's an interesting approach. I know there's a lot of mixed opinions in our listener base as well in my client base mm-hmm. of FBN, as stated. Uh, but it'll be exciting to see if it comes to fruition and truly open market will determine value. So uh, it'll be fun to watch. And that probably is an article we will report on again. If it is true. If it's true. <laughs> it's alleged right now. But usually sources familiar to the matter typically mean it's somebody on the inside that does know what is going on. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Did you want to touch on the markets today, Delaney? I did, Tanner. And I just we jump uh, into our conversation. Yeah, we were having this interesting conversation before we started recording today, looking at expanded limits. Because the first trading day of May, we will see new expanded limits set. And so essentially the way that the CME group does that is they will look at a 45-day trading average take the average of those days and multiply it times 7% to give you the new expanded limits. And they do this once every quarter. I believe it's once every quarter, if not once every six months. I'll have to brush back up on that. But they do it frequently enough to say, if the markets are acting more volatile, which we know they certainly have been, the expanded limits need to be a representation of that. Right. So it's not a change about when expanded limits happen. The change is based the calculation on how wide the limit will be at the time that that qualifies. Yes. And there was some misinformation floating around. So we just wanted to clarify that for any of our listeners that had that question. But certainly don't need to use expanded limits today. We have a pretty narrow trading range here in the grains as corn is mixed this morning with new crop up just a penny and old crop trading lower four to five cents. Soybeans are trading lower as well across the board down uh, anywhere from a quarter of a cent to about three and a half cents. And wheat is actually higher on the day across all wheat complexes. We're getting mixed trade in the livestock markets as live cattle higher, feeder cattle are higher, and lean hogs are trending lower today, Tanner. So that's where the markets are at as of about 10 o'clock this morning. All right. Well, we have another exciting Tech Tuesday conversation ahead of us for our listeners. Let's jump right into that. All right. It is our Tech Tuesday, and we have the pleasure of having a conversation today with Aaron Hutchinson, the co-founder and CEO of PropTrack. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, how you doing, Tanner? <laughs> really good. You were just telling us here before we got started uh, the difference in temperatures from Iowa to where you're at. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're at today? All right. Yeah, sure. So um, I come from a produce and citrus family based in Florida. Uh, went to school to be an engineer because my parents told me to be anything but a farmer because of the way farming was in the 80s and early 90s. And uh, as as it always happens, I circled all the way back around to come back to farming. And uh, me and the family live here in the high desert of Tucson, Arizona, uh, way down in the south, uh, home of Pima Cotton, if you think about that. And it's also where we had the headquarters for crop track. And as I understand it, Aaron, you have been in this business for more than a decade. Tell us a little bit about how you got started. As you mentioned there, I think a lot of farmers and people that work in the ag industry can relate of thinking you don't want to go into a career in agriculture. And then sooner or later, you find yourself here. (laughs) Yeah. um, So uh, for me and my founders, um, two of us are farm kids and uh, one's a city boy. Um, We had, uh, this is our second company as a group. 
Um, our first one, we did military 3D GIS stuff. And the way to think about it was, is we thought about losing data was equivalent to losing your life. And it was strange to come over in 2009, this is before, you know, almost a year before an iPad, and to figure out that, you know, we, my parents and people were plugging in their iPacks and, you know, 50-50, the data would actually get to the other side. And, you know, data in farming is equivalent to data in the military. You, you lose the data, in a sense, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. And so we said, hey, if we can build tools that never lose data in the worst environments on the planet, we should be able to do that for farmers. Um, so with lots of beer and barbecue, we set off to um, build a series of tools for farmers. And, um, and we laid down a mission, which I'm excited to say is uh, still applicable today as it was the day we wrote it. And our mission is to use data to assure that food is safe, affordable, and sustainable. So um, the company kind of got started that way. So what exactly does CropTrack provide uh, so our listeners understand what service you guys offer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what CropTrack does is in a one-platform kind of configuration – um, what we're able to do is to track not just the crop, but also to track the food safety, to track the sustainabilities. Um, and with our release of this version of our software, also to at the same time track the contracts and how those things all kind of interact with each other. Um, we do that for the entire ingredient supply chain end to end. And the idea being is long before we actually stick a seed in the ground, we already kind of have to have, you know, a contract in place. We've got to have some form of traceability already in action. And what we do across, you know, row crops and because there's a lot of other kinds of crops on people's farms, we allow them to bring their trees and their produce and their row crops into one single environment. So to have a better insight of what's going on on the farm. And so I assume with all of the digital data that you're tracking, you're mentioning it's starting at the farm level, but I assume it's going all the way through to the consumer level. Is that right, Aaron? That is correct. And through all the different data silos to get there, um, you know, the you got the farmer himself, you end up with the production plant, you end up on the marketing desk. Um, you know, you, you have to, you know, get all the certifications, right? The regulatory pieces of paper go along with these things. And then ultimately, yeah, you're, you're looking for it to be either a logo um, on a, some food or in the case of some of our products that are in Europe, there's actually a QR code and you scan it and it tells you a whole bunch about um, that bag of crisp that was uh, manufactured. It's interesting. Tanner and I were just at a I guess, conference of sorts this morning, and they were talking about kind of doing the same thing in the carbon space, but you guys are doing this obviously in the food space first and foremost. And you had some exciting news today that we get to share on the podcast that you released a digital contracting and settlement software capability. Talk to us about what that is, what it means, what it does for <laughs> what does that mean? users. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. And the new capability Marketing was working hard on this one. Digital contracts and settlement module. Um, so why did we do it? Uh, what we wanted to do is, you know, uh, we have a large number of our customers are food companies um, in concert with their growers. 
And what we wanted to do was make it really easy for food companies to pay their growers faster and correctly. I don't know what you, I love to be paid on time and the right amount. <laughs> and um, at the same time, could we, you know, also provide the grower a real time view of, you know, in these contracts, there's a lot of credits and debits, especially when you're dealing with something that might be uh, perishable or something that might be identity preserved. And, and as those things are going on, you'd really like to deal with them right then and there and not have to wait to the end and try to find all the paper and rush around to make sure you got paid the right amount. Um, so in a sense, what we've done with this module is we started treating contracts just like we do sustainability, carbon, and food safety. I don't know if you had any idea Aaron, but that is exactly what was talked about this morning when uh, we recorded our news section about carbon and, and the traceability just as the way agriculture and the way consumers are wanting to continue to track. So it's exciting with your release today to see how you have the framework that uh, people can utilize in this new module that you released. But if they're curious about learning more or getting in contact with you, how, how do they find out more? Where do they go to connect with you? I think the easiest way is to, is to send us an email um, at contact at croptrack, C-R-O-P-T-R-A-K dot com. And one of our guys will reach out and, you know, help answer your questions, show you some of the tool, talk to you about your needs, uh, make things easier for you. Before we wrap up, uh, now that we know how to get a hold of you, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the DCS product. I am excited about um, how that is going to change the relationship with the growers and the food companies by opening, you know, a transparent conversation between them. It may be wrapped around a contract, but... Um, I think that once we open the bi-directional communication, it's open and so much more will be possible for both sides um, kind of going into the future. And Aaron, not to throw you on the spot here, but I had one final question that I wanted to ask you before we get wrapped up for today. And that was just simply, you know, you talk about all of these different points in the supply chain, but we largely serve the farmer audience with our podcast. And so we always got to get down to the brass tacks. How do farmers benefit from this technology? Well, first, um, getting paid faster is always a good thing. Um, second is the customers we already have on the platform are using this information, using the platform as, as a way of sending information and value back to the grower. Um, and our European and some of our South American countries, we're actually sending back irrigation suggestions relative to the larger audience. Um, we're sending back, you know, blight and other types of information to help that grower meet his contract because at the end of the day, um, the food companies, much like the growers have the same problem. They have a customer, they have to deliver, they have risk. And, and it's in their best interest to help the farmer do a good, better job of delivering safe, affordable and sustainable food. And Fantastic. That's how, that's how we help. Fantastic. And as Aaron just mentioned there, the website is CropTrack. That's C-R-O-P-T-R-A-K. Aaron Hutchinson with CropTrack. Thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it. It's nice, nice speaking with you, Delaney and Tanner.
Well, thanks again there to Crop Track for coming on and chatting with us today. Certainly appreciate it. Interesting stuff that they are doing, Tanner. Yeah, who'd have thought when you sign on as a co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, you would learn so much from Market Mondays to Tech Tuesdays to all the great guests we have on the rest of the week. So fantastic. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us. How do they find us on social media? They can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you there and uh, hearing our voices again tomorrow morning. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.